Dear Marvel's pull list fans, it is with a mix of emotions that we announced the end of an era after nearly 300 total episodes. Marvel's pull list podcast will be bidding you farewell. Now, as, as we think about this, we reflect on this really fun journey, all these episodes, all these years, we want to take a moment to express our deep, deep gratitude to each and every one of you for all the support, for your dedication, for your love, for your messages, for all that stuff. You know, when we first started the show, we really just wanted to highlight all the amazing Marvel talent that went into each and every book, all the incredible creators and people behind the scenes. Um, and throughout the years, there's been <laughs> a freaking ton of it. Now, we think we achieved that and, and so much more with this show. And we gave all of you, all of our wonderful listeners, insight into who not to miss, what books not to miss, and what makes all those amazing creators work so, so unique and special. And that being said, we would like to give a profound thank you to the talented writers, artists, colors, letters, editors, and countless other creators who poured their creativity and passion into the thousands and thousands of comic books we've covered on the show. All the incredible storytelling, the amazing, beautiful, stunning artwork, the meticulous craftsmanship that has captivated us and all of you listeners. It's just something special. We've been transported to extraordinary worlds and universes and multiverses and times and all that stuff introduced to unforgettable characters. All of you creators, you've contributed to the medium and everything you've done has enriched our lives, shaped the very essence of what makes Marvel Comics so extraordinary. Without y'all, we ain't got no freaking stories. So thanks. To all the guests who have graced our show, we extend our deepest gratitude. Your presence and insights have added depth and richness to all of these discussions. Seeing how and why you do what you do is really special. Your willingness to share those experiences you've had, your inspirations, those behind-the-scenes stories has offered us and all of our listeners a unique glimpse into the creative process and the Marvel Universe writ large. Now, we also, of course, want to express our appreciation to every host, every guest host who has ever stepped in to help us share their perspectives and keep the show dynamic. Your passion for comics and your distinct voices have brought a fresh energy to the podcast, enriching our conversations and expanding the range of perspectives we offer our listeners. Of course, behind the scenes, we owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to the producers who have dedicated so many hours to crafting the show into what it is today. All that attention to detail, the commitment to the quality, the unwavering support, it's just been so instrumental in making Marvel's Pull List the podcast that's become. Your expertise and dedication have ensured that our listeners always receive the best possible experience. And most importantly, to you guys, all of you listening, thank you for joining us week after week, eagerly tuning in to hear our thoughts, discussions, recommendations, figure out what the quote of the week is. Your enthusiasm and engagement have been the driving force behind this podcast from sharing your own insights to sparking conversations on social media. You made the show a vibrant and inclusive community, which is super duper important. We appreciate the time you've invested in being part of our journey. As we bid farewell to Marvel's pull list, we carry with us a treasure trove of memories, a deep appreciation for the love and support we've received. This podcast has been a labor of love, and it wouldn't have been possible without each and every one of you. Now, importantly, it's all okay. Marvel's pull list will still live on in some capacity over on This Week in Marvel. So be sure to look out for that. Go subscribe to This Week in Marvel if you are not already. I'm going to keep reading every single comic book every single week and tell you which ones I love the most. We're eternally grateful for the opportunity to be a part of the Marvel community and to have shared this incredible journey with all of you. And now we bring you our final show 
with a very special guest. Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel comics on sale July 12th, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M stands for... Jasmine, come on! Wait, for real? No, wait. Does it actually stand for that? Yes. Is this late-breaking news? It's not, like, I don't go around... Why? uh, My original boss... Uh-huh. When he after he hired me, he wanted me to do like a behind the scenes thing. So I yeah 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 did a behind the scenes blog and all this stuff. And so he uh, he said, "All right, come up with a cool title." I was like, "Well, I like Nick Fury. We'll do this thing, and I'll be like a Shield agent." I was like, "Agent P for Panagos," and he's like, "Nope, that's no good." Agent M, and he walked away. Was it actually for? Yes. <laughs> 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 Oh my god! Okay, yeah. uh, I won't blow your cover. I'll I'll censor it out. Very good, um, man. Okay, all right. You know what? This has been the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we give you some details, some reasons to check out every new Marvel comic each week. Uh, we will still do that in other ways. Don't you worry. We'll give our three personal picks of the week, the three books we absolutely say you gotta buy these because they're so good. Uh, one of our picks this week will make you cry. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, We'll also tell you a bit about every other issue coming out this week. We'll pick a favorite non-spoilery reason for you to check out each issue by giving an award named after a quote pulled from one of this week's releases. I guess there'll be no award winner for it, but but we'll we'll follow up on Twim. We'll still give the award. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's follow on Twim. We'll follow on Twim. Uh, And then we're going to run through some Infinity Comics, Marvel Unlimited, all those good things. And on top of that, as we have teased, we do have a very special guest this week, right? Yes. Yes, we are speaking to one, Tucker Marcus, who, if you've been a longtime fan of the show, you might recognize as the previous co-host of Marvel's Pull List, um, which is crazy because I tried to look back at when like I started co-hosting, and it's been well over a year, and it does not feel like that. It's got to be longer than that, right? No, it's like, it's like, it's way longer than a year. It's yeah. like... But it's just like, whoa, I, it feels like just yesterday that Tucker was recording with us. Fair enough. Yeah, it's uh, what a ride it's been f- almost six, like five and a half years of yeah. this show in its various ways. Um, and it all started back on This Week in Marvel. We were doing this <laughs> 11, 12 years ago on This Week in Marvel. I was talking about the comics back then. So naturally, it'll fold back into the show. But right now... We got to get into our picks of the week. And, you know, we had a lot of discussion as we were getting into this. What should our picks be? There's a lot of good books. There's different things we want to go with. And I said, screw it. I'm picking Miles Morales, Spider-Man number eight uh, as my one of my picks of the week. It is written by Cody Ziegler, art by Federico Vicentini, colors by Brian Valenza, and lettering by VCs Clayton Cowles. Got a shout out <laughs> the, um, the Miles Morales Spider-Man number eight Hellfire Gala variant edition by Bernard Chang and Marcelo Maiolo because it puts poor sweet Miles on the wait list for the Hellfire Gala. I love that there's a wait list. Oh, it's fantastic. It's so good. Uh, also, Miles's fit here is amazing. Those like those sneaker boots, the like the pattern in his suit, the way he's got his hair coming out of the, the mask. Ugh, I love it. It's real good. Uh, so 
part of the reason why I picked this issue is half of it is a lot of character stuff. It's, I mean, all of it is really great character stuff, but it, like the opening to this book is Miles and his friends at a street fair slash night market. There's this like night market in Brooklyn that this reminds me of very much. So um, it was really cool. It's them. It's like them eating and being goofy and just like hanging out, being teenagers, doing their thing. And and then there's also like this talk of therapy and this talk uh, that Miles has with Tiana, you know, that they've been they've been together for a little bit. And she's like, she clearly sees that something is up with Miles and like he's going through stuff. And it's really important that like this gets addressed, I think, for readers, for people, because something we've always talked about, we're always going to talk about representation and how important that is. But also for someone who's maybe going through something and like dealing with their own trauma to see their superheroes dealing with things to know that they can talk about, Hey, maybe I need therapy. Maybe I need someone to talk to about these things. That is really important. It's obviously, maybe it's not everyone, but to have our heroes show that they have feet of clay and, and, and start to deal with these things is incredibly important. Also, like, Tiana's just the best, like just so cool, so sweet, and like ready to be there for Miles when he doesn't even know that he can be there for himself. So, oh, all good. And then there's like this wonderful sort of like romancy bit where uh, Tana asks him, like, are you good? Or like, how you doing? And he's like, good, could be better. And then he's like getting into like smooching. I just, I like those moments that you, you get a lot of stuff between the two of them and what makes them so cute and so special together. Uh, so we get that throughout a lot of the book. And then we start to fold in, uh, it's not a big spoiler because he's on the cover, the Hobgoblin. And I think Cody and Federico and company do such a great job of making Hobgoblin feel like a scary monster, not just like a, a laughing maniac, not a necessarily a green goblin knockoff, but like a scary dude who is going to mess them up and he messes them up. It is a wild battle. It's the two of them, Starling and Spidey versus Hobgoblin. There's this awesome double page spread of the three of them fighting. And when, when Hobbs, you know, first bought, sort of comes out and uh, Brian Belenza's colors are so beautiful. You've got the big sound effect at the bottom, the logos for the characters and the word balloons that Clayton like pulls in there. It, it, you, you add that onto like the feeling of fury and the panic and the chaos. I looked at that double page spread for a while. I was like, hell freaking yeah. Uh, and then also there's a, a great quote I pulled, which was Miles saying, I absolutely cannot have any more buildings fall on me this year. Which is so good, but like again, Same. Miles, right? Like, also, Miles, go to therapy, get you some help, talk to someone about the buildings falling down on you, your parents' like apartment blowing up, your sister being in danger, you being freaking tortured by multiple enemies, like all this stuff. Uh, it's all, it all sort of comes together and then it's got a wonderful, intense last page. You know, sometimes we pick the big number ones or the big event books or what have you, but it's always good that we get these just like number eight of, of an ongoing series that just kicks our asses and it's really good. Yeah. And it's also just like a good single issue. Like I think any, mm -hmm. like anybody could jump into this real easily and like not feel lost at all. Mm -hmm. Next up is my first pick of the week, which is... Fallen Friend, issue number one. Now, this is the uh, spoiler alert. If you didn't read <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man, issue number 26 from a couple weeks ago, I have some breaking news for you. Uh, it 
results in the death of our dear friend Kamala Khan, aka Ms. Marvel. And I think one of the first questions that I had when Kamala Khan uh, passed away was like, okay, like she had a secret identity. Like certain people don't know that she was Ms. Marvel. So like, how are we going to do this? Like, how are we going to, you know, explain to readers that, you know, or not even readers, but to people who like knew Kamala Khan is just Kamala Khan that like she passed away. And it's all really tightly packed in this issue, like really well done. And like, it pretty much uh, culminates in this ceremony in this issue of Fallen Friend, where we get a lot of different visitors uh, who come to her mosque, her like family mosque and like pay their respects in the way that, you know, uh, her religion and her culture like does. And it's, it's really fascinating to see who shows up. The way that this book is broken down is by chapters, uh, and each chapter is kind of like a chunk of like Kamala's like life and like her group, like the groups that she was involved with, the friendships that she had, um, the the teams that she was a part of, and each one is written and drawn by different creatives. So we have writers G. Willow Wilson, who wrote the first and wonderful Ms. Marvel series. Uh, we have Mark Wade and Saladin Ahmed, who also wrote Champions and Ms. Marvel for a minute, um, and then. We have artists Takeshi Miyazawa, Umberto Ramos, and Andrea uh, DiVito, who also all worked together with some of the writers that I had just previously mentioned on specific runs of Ms. Marvel and Champions. Uh, and then we also have inkers Victor Olazaba and colorists Ian Herring and Edgar Delgado with letters by BC's Ariana Mayer. And it's it's really cool because in the first chapter, it's very small. It starts off small, right? So we, we get her like high school friends, her homies like from like, her neighborhood, her parents show up and they start reading and they're, they're all questioning the same things. Like, this is weird. Like, you know, we're having this ceremony, this funeral service essentially for Kamala Khan, but also Miss Marvel. And, uh, they're very curious about who's going to show up and like how, like, it's going to be weird to, you know, mix these two worlds together, which I think is probably one of the most fascinating things. Uh, but the other thing that, that really hit home was that like, her friends have this conversation because they know that she's Ms. Marvel and, you know, that she had the secret identity. But they talk about the secrets dying with her, um, which I thought was, like, really sad. Um, we see her parents immediately come in. Uh, but then, like, slowly but surely, we get more of the heroes trickling in. And, like, the first one is Wolverine. And that got me. I did not expect Wolverine to be the first one to walk into that mosque. But, like, the minute he showed up, I was like, oh, that's right. I totally forgot about that. And like, it was a gut punch. Yeah. Um, and as like more and more heroes start floating in, we get hurt, like her friends, like the champions, we get some Avengers that show up. Um, Captain Marvel makes an appearance, Tony Stark. Captain Marvel also was a gut punch for me, like just seeing her walk in and like, it was devastating. But the thing that I like about this is that it's not just like a, a sad story. There's a lot of like just cheerfulness here and celebration here about who this character was, what they meant to so many different people, um, the relationships that she has formed throughout the years, whether that's love interests like Red Dagger or, you know, her partnerships with the Avengers and the champions and like just like the way that they're remembering how she like stood her ground. Like there's one panel that I like screenshotted that has like the champions talking about how she, you know, was an Avenger for a minute and like. She stood her ground amongst some of these big juggernaut like superheroes. Like at one point she tells Thor like, hey, like I don't appreciate you like talking over me. And I'm like, that is wild. Like, but that's who she was. And it's such a cool way of like, you know, remembering who this character is and like the importance that they had in this, in our universe, like in, in the Marvel universe and like what they meant to so many different people. Um, but 
The second chapter, which is written by Mark Wade with uh, art by Umberto Ramos, is like probably my favorite because it just felt like an extra champions issue. And that one got me the most because it pretty much follows a lot of the fallout of, you know, that run. They start talking about vision and the way she's like dealing with emotions and like how she can just turn it off. And like, it's such powerful stuff. And like so many emotions are clearly running through this book. And like, I, there's no way you can't identify with one of the characters in this book because there's just so much going on, so many stories. And it really just drives like home why, or like the importance of this character in this world and how much she meant to not only readers and fans alike but also like these heroes and legacies and by the time we get to the end we get one character that i think everybody's like not excited to see but like is looking forward to the most in terms of like how they're dealing and grieving with you know the events of that have unfolded in the past couple of weeks um and when we get to those last couple of pages it is devastating like we follow peter parker as he has to essentially confront Kamala Khan's parents and he doesn't know what to say to them like he's like I've been trying to figure out what to say like how am I gonna say it like and when we get those pages it is crushing um this was a lovely tribute and like a lovely single issue like if you are a Kamala Khan fan if you're a Marvel Universe fan like you should definitely be picking this issue up yeah that uh the Willow and Takeshi story that was the one that got me that last page I was like oh my god Oof. But yeah, um, yeah, that the QR code at the end. Um, oh yeah, I didn't even talk about that. Yeah, make sure you check that out. Definitely check that out. We won't say anything more. That said, let's move on to the next pick of the week, and this was a giant unanimous. Both of us talked about this one immediately. It is X Men: Days of Future Past Doomsday, number one, written by Mark Guggenheim, pencils by Manuel Garcia, inks by Cam Smith, colors by Yen Nitro, and lettering by VCs Clayton. Cowles. This one is really interesting because X-Men Days of Future Past is originally Uncanny X-Men 141, 142 from, God, 40 years ago. Yeah. And it's a two-issue storyline that has affected so much. It's influenced movies. It's influenced the entire like history and storytelling of the X-Men in a number of ways, in the ways that we think about like dystopian comic book universes and all this kinds of stuff, right? But it opens at a point where everything has been just as has already gone wrong. We're at the end of all that. Like almost everyone is dead. Almost everything is terrible. There are like 10 high powered mutants left. The X-Men are, are barely a, a, an afterthought. We've did an episode on Days of Future Past a, a while ago. You can always check that out. But this is the story of how we got to that moment from the death of Senator Robert Kelly, which is depicted in 141 and 42 destiny and the brotherhood of mutants go to, to kill him and the X-Men have to save him. Yada, yada, yada. So this is, this is like, instead of telling the story of how Kitty comes back in time, this is what prompts all those moves. Yeah. So this is almost 30 years of storytelling that we're getting out of this series. And the book does not hold back. The book opens with the deaths of Banshee, a horrible, horrible death of Angel within the first two pages. Then you see stuff happen to Scott. Then the most intense thing of children. And the children are actually referenced in the original Days of Future mm -hmm. Past. I, I like I had to stop myself. It, it made my stomach hurt. It hurt my heart. It reminded me a lot of like 
you and I are both fans of Future Imperfect, and like we had those Maestro like series that kind of like yeah. showed how we got to that Same alternate reality. But I think the thing that this book does very well, and I think the thing that like has always been the biggest challenge, if you wanted to tell the story for you know Days of Future Past, is like how did we get here? Like, um, like like it it seems way too over the top. It seems like there's no way that like you know we would ever get to the point where we have mutant internment camps, and it's like the way that this book unfolds is terrifying because yeah. it feels very like oh yeah this could like i could totally see it, it feels very realistic they're using like beats that echo what's like happening in like most political spheres and like it's scary like i did not expect it to be this powerful um but i left with like a sinking feeling in my stomach like oh god yeah yeah so we start we see like there's a whole like montage of year four year five year six what little things are happening to the United States, to the world that leads us. So it's, you know, it's not one particular thing. Mm -mm. And like, it's not just like everything is terrible. It's step by step, how humanity turns on mutants, how humanity then turns on superhumans, how humanity turns on itself, how the sentinels sort of take a turn that the humans didn't realize. It's all these little things. It's death by a, a million cuts. Those cuts are like gigantic slices with a with, with yeah. adamantium claws. No, you were, you were talking about like, you know, turning on superhumans and like that was always my first question with like Days mm-hmm. of Future Past, like the original like two issues where I'm like. Where where are the Avengers here? Like, why didn't they? And this this explains it. And I'm just yeah. like, damn. This. Well, is- you see, you see the graves of the Fantastic Four very clearly yes. in the original Days of Future Past, and so it's this big puzzle, right? And Mark yeah. and Manuel come in to fit all the pieces. There doesn't take anything away. I, this was so good. It is so incredibly depressing, but it actually makes the original Days of Future Past feel bigger, feel mm-hmm. bleaker gives it more substance. It does not like the tricky thing about this is like, you could easily pull away from the magic of that story. It doesn't do that. It adds to it. It's so additive in just, again, the most upsetting ways. Yeah. (laughs) Like I look, I love my what ifs. I love the stories where everything is horrible and everyone dies, but we've lived in days of future past for so long. It feels like, like just a, 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 just a, just a corner around from where we are. It's so familiar. So it hits harder. Yeah. And, and like the other thing that this does really well is we've, like you said, there's 40 years since those stories have come out, but there's also 40 years of Marvel history mm-hmm. that have like been formed. And like the way that this book utilizes like those heroes, like Spider-Man, for example, this doesn't feel like an X-Men book. This feels like a massive, like Marvel event book. Like it reminds me of like a secret invasion or like a, mm-hmm. Like you have civil war written down here because it does like play on some of those like motifs. It's shocking to me that it's tucked away behind like the X-Men Days of Future Past like title. It feels like such a much bigger story. Yeah. You know what? Put an event in, in a book and just let it let it sit there. Let it feel yeah. that big because it is that big. Great issue. <sighs> Incredible. Yeah. All right. That is it for our picks of the week. But now we have to talk about the rest of the fabulous fresh floppies coming out this week. But before we do that, we need to talk about the awards. Last mm. week, we were giving out the time to do a nomectomy award. <laughs> and that came from issue 24 of X-Men. Yeah. Um, we do have a winner. I saw over on uh, Twitter, Jace Lacob at Televisionary was the first one that I saw as our final quote of the week 
search winner. Uh, also want to quickly shout out Keith Springham, who definitely found it right away. And he right away was like, nomectomy is what's called for in X-Men number 24. Uh, I love it. That is all well and good. Thank you for those of you who have played along these yeah. several years, months, and whatnot. But we're still going to give out an award for this week. Jasmine, what do we got? All right, this week. It's a long one, but a good one. We're going to be giving out the Buckle Your Seatbelts and Hold On to Your Tickleberries Award. <laughs> Tickleberries cracked me up so much. <laughs> well, we won't be giving out uh, any comics codes to the person who finds it first, feel free to send us emails. Like, you can just send us emails. That email is going to yeah. be there for a while. It's pulllist.marvel.com. But, of course, we've teamed up with Marvel Insider to score some Marvel Insider points just for you who listens to this podcast. After you listen to the show, go to marvel.com slash insider. Look for the Marvel's pull list quote of the week activity, and you'll be asked to identify the correct quote of the week from four choices. It's going to be easy because you know the correct answer. Choose correctly, and you'll earn 500 Marvel Insider points. Okay. Woo. Buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your tickleberries. We got new comics. It really is a great quote. I was trying to figure out what the acronym would be, but it's too hard to pronounce. <laughs> uh, there's a lot to love about our first book, Amazing Spider-Man number 29. There is a uh, Mary Jane and Felicia on the Hellfire Gala waitlist variant cover by our pal David Nakayama, which is so good. And I also love that they got waitlisted, even though MJ <laughs> was like at the gala last year. <sighs> yeah. But she was a special guest. That was because her mom got, like, there was a whole thing there. Uh, you're right. You're right. Um, there's a wonderful opening scene here with Jonah and the, the Doc Ock harness. And, like, uh, just, uh, it is really sweet. There's a, a wonderful homage to uh, the Jack Kirby cover to Amazing Fantasy 15 in here with JJ. There's a lot in here to love. Like I said, there's someone shouts, my lamp, which reminded me of the classic movie UHF. Uh, and the line, my mop, five of you out there will understand. Or for it. the SpongeBob fans, my leg. See, we each have our cultural yes. uh, touch points depending on our ages. Uh, but I will give the buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your tickleberries award to two pages of rec rap goodness. It's not going to be enough. It is not enough here, but uh, <laughs> I need more. I, we needed more, but the fact that we get two pages of rec rap showing off and there's a great editorial uh, note at the bottom of the page that cracked me up, but uh, rec rap is going after quote puppy and prisoners of York city, Newtown. Woo. I love rec rap. So it was so funny watching those panels. Like I'm like, is that who I think it is? It is mm -hmm. wonderful. More please. Yeah. All right, next up is Groot issue number three, and I'm going to give my Buckle Your Seatbelts and Hold On to Your Tickleberries award to Yondar, who I think has become like a standout, like mm. breakout star of the series for me. Like, obviously, this whole book has been like a, a Groot team up with the original Captain Marvel, but in this issue, we kind of get a little of a breakaway where Groot is working with Yondar, and like she's kind of become her own, and like I want more of this character. I'm very interested to see if we pick her back up later on in the future. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We have Immortal X-Men number 13 reminding us we are deep in the like on the road to the fall of X. Uh, just uh, this one. We've got a couple of cypher variants because he's really at the core of this book. One of there's an interesting thing 
where we see throughout this issue that Krakoa's leaves are falling and it's, it's made a point in the story, but if you watch the background of the panels, like that happens throughout the story, Selena's in here, there's a ton of stuff, but I'm going to give my buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your tickleberries award to the conversation between Doug, AKA Cypher and professor X. Like Doug Ramsey hero, just the best. What he says here, what he does, what he goes through, what his future holds. I don't know that I can handle what's coming. I don't know. All right. Next up is issue number two of Loki. And I'm going to give my buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your tickleberries award to, to Loki, who just like gets away with things. They're just busting out like all these crazy moves. And like every single turn that takes place here, no matter how wild it gets, I'm like, yeah, of course, because it's Loki. Good luck. Like, they've thought this whole thing out through. Like, you're screwed. Yeah. Also, how'd you feel about that uh, female Loki? Dude, that female Loki was awesome. Whew. So good. All right. On to a big one. Nearly one of our picks of the week. Moon Knight number 25. This is a big issue. Like, literally huge. It is square bound. She thick. She's so thick. There's so many great covers. You got stuff by Steve McNiven, Frank Miller, Maria Wolf, a Hellfire Gala waitlist, and so I many more. One. Oh, it's so pretty. So good. Uh, there's there's a ton of stuff in here. Um, I want to give a shout out. I don't know if it's my award yet, but I want to give a shout out to artist Partha Pratim, who draws Zodiac laughing in in his mask. And like there's so much emotion. Right? Like you yeah. look at it. To do that with a fully masked character and really like sell that, it was beautifully, beautifully done. Zodiac threads throughout all this, Black Spectre, who's been plaguing Moon Knight. Um, so it's a like there's told across a number of of different scenes and stories in here where basically Moon Knight has just run this big gauntlet against a bunch of his villains. He's like plots are being um revealed uh, secrets and all this other stuff but it also opens up a whole bunch of like new cans of worms there's triple crosses and all kinds of stuff there's 70 pages of new moon knight story in this issue plus plus a bonus old uh moon knight issue by Doug Monk and Bill Sankevich which is super sad like it is like super I sad 70s moon knight oh it's great it's so good also for all the collectors out there, this is the first appearance of Layla Alfauli in the comics. So yeah, I was like, and I didn't know. I knew she was coming, mm-hmm. but it was such a pleasant surprise to see her here. And I'm like, okay, let's go. Heck yeah. She's pretty cool. We'll see more of her soon. All right. Next up is Planet of the Apes issue number four. This is the issue that I think everyone's been waiting for. Here is this giant ship in the middle of the ocean that is loaded with apes. And there is this anti-ape, you know, terrorist group cell that decides to bombard them. And we get a full out, like, just guns blazing war between these two groups. Uh, One being these terrorist group and two being the apes. You know, we get to the point where they pick up arms and are fighting back. And it is bonkers like i mean i'm talking apes with bazooka bonkers like it is wild and the art is amazing the the storytelling is phenomenal you start to really really feel like you know there's a lot of sympathy here for a lot of these apes like there's the entire time the main character that we've been following has a baby ape in her hands that she's trying to protect and it there's nothing worse than seeing that baby's like reaction shots to things that are going on 
And for that, I'm going to go ahead and give Dave Walker my buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your Tickleberries award. Although I kind of want to give it to Pug at the end because Pug's story has been great. And this, this short chapter at the end of this issue is probably my favorite that we've gotten so far. Like, go Pug. I love you. Oh, yeah. All right. On to Red Goblin number six. Uh, this one brings back like, Goblin Knight in a cool, cool way. We got Red Goblin versus Goblin Knight. But I want to give my buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your Tickleberries award to the, the way the relationship is playing out between Rascal and Normie, like the sadness that's going on and like the, the emotions that are going through Normie and how that's affecting Rascal, um, how the symbiote is not this big power trip, but it's like a fight against oneself. And it's a rough go for kids who are like just trying to figure out their life and their emotions. Um, there's a there's a lot of deep stuff going on in there. All right, next up is Rogue and Gambit issue number five. And before I like get into it, if you're reading this, if you're picking this up, I didn't expect this myself, but I'm glad that I have been keeping up with the X-Men books. But I would highly recommend you read X-Men issue number 24 from last week uh, before you're reading this because it does tie into that. And one of the reveals uh, that we get from Destiny in X-Men issue number 24 is kind of like, pushed along a little further here and we get some action from rogue based on what she hears from destiny um and i was pretty like "Ooh, okay what's going on did not expect this to happen (laughs) and the way that it's like so seamlessly tied into what's going on in the larger x-men story it was really really fascinating for that i'm going to give stephanie phillips who's a writer on this book my buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your tinkleberries Let's keep it rolling with Scarlet Witch number six. Uh, this one is wild. And it's got space and a really cool library. It's got blood scrolls. Um, I will say, though, I'm going to give my buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your tickleberries because it has Billy and Teddy. It's got Scarlet Witch with her son and son-in-law. And it's really cute. And seeing them together makes me happy. Woo. All right, Star Wars Bounty Hunters issue number 36 is next. And I'm going to go ahead and give my Buckle Your Seatbelts and Hold On to Your Tinkleberries award to the stuff that's going on here between uh, Boba Fett and Balance. Because I don't know if you, if you, last issue we got the start of this new, like, all right, let's, let's take out Boba Fett. And it turned out to be like, let's actually recruit him. And then like, let's take on this bounty together as like a gang of bounty hunters. And to like, see this continue but also like branch out into new areas that i wasn't expecting especially the stuff with balance is is really interesting so curious to see where it goes next yeah on to star wars darth vader number 36 this also we're like right before dark droids and this is a story about all kinds of droids so i'm uh, i'm gonna give my buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your tickleberries to all the droids in this issue, particularly G90, who's a big round droid boy, who's been in uh, Vader for a bunch of months and a bunch of issues. And at one point, it's just, I hate this. Cracked up reading that. But also, this gives a like deep dive. It gives a sort of like look at how droids perceive life. Like a lot of the droids are like, I've been killed by Vader several times. Like that vision of death and how it doesn't, it's not the same with droids, especially in the Star Wars universe. It's something that I've never read or seen explored this way. And I thought that was really cool and makes me feel less bad about all the droids that get exploded across so many Star Wars, knowing that, hey, maybe they will come back, which is great. All right. Next up is Warlock Rebirth, issue number four. And 
this the story continues the Adam versus Eve uh, warlock battle, wh- where it culminates in an actual fist fight between the two, which was so badass. But I'm going to go ahead and give my buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your Tinkleberries award to the opening sequence of this book, which is just so funny <laughs> to me because it's literally Spider-Man and Daredevil talking about like the most minuscule things of the Marvel universe. Like they're just eating a sandwich hanging out and Spider-Man's like, Hey, so like is Kingpin one of yours or one of mine? And they like start to talk about how many times Kingpin has tried to murder them and like comparing notes. And I'm just like, it's, it just, I don't know. I like this world building. I like to see where our, you know, street level heroes are in like the scope of this massive story that's being told in the, like the actual cosmos of the Marvel universe. Really funny. Heck Yeah. Um, on to Web of Carnage number one. This is a wild one because it, it like pays off the tease of what Moreland was going to do at the end of End of Spider Verse. Uh, uh, what is that? A couple weeks, months ago. But it's also like this alternate reality story where Moreland and uh, Carnage, and, like the Carnage symbiote, go to Earth thirty one. We meet Hunter Spider Craven versus Cletus Cassidy version of Venom. It's just bonkers but i will give my buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your tickleberries to where this sort of pushes evolved carnage and moreland into their next stories um so yeah pretty wild all right next up is what if dark loki issue number one and i really enjoyed this it presents a new you know it poses a question and this one is what if you know loki was able to carry mjolnir like what would happen and it's my favorite kind of what if story because it's like a it's like a be careful what you wish for type story. <laughs> yeah. And it it's it's almost like a twilight zone type thing where it's like okay, like this will happen but like the ending isn't quite what you think it would be. Um but like I love Walt Simonson's like Thor run and just to get that feeling again here. He doesn't do the art in this but Scott Eaton still manages to capture that same era as well as like the older like, you know, Jack Kirby style because that's where this story takes place. But like to see these characters and to see like, you know, Walt Simonson just having fun. And what a, what a fun story. I love it. We got to get to our last book, X-Force number 42. Man, this one, this whole storyline, the, uh, it's just been bananas. We open with beast gonna beast doing his beastie things. And like, he's talking about doing what he's doing for the greater good. And, the like justification of all the awful stuff beast is doing like he's so messed up and like seeing that taken to its extreme point here has made for really good comics. Uh, there's some really great stuff that Paul Davison does here with like Quentin's powers and how he uses like his TK. Uh, there's some ski masks and vehicles and different stuff. Uh, there beast has a new form in this issue, which is wild. Deadpool becomes dead fool. But I will say I'm going to give my buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your Tickleberries award to the heartbreak of everything going on with Colossus and how. Oh, my God. Cool. I was furious because we we gotten like this respite over the last couple yeah. of issues because yeah. Colossus has been out of time and like like having him be clear minded and like it gets to a point here and you're just like, oh, we're going to get Peter back. And then like they just. They just twist the knife. Oh, brutal, 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 brutal. Also, just want to quickly add before we wrap up, this issue pairs really, really nicely with X-Men Days of Future Past Doomsday issue number one, because there's a lot of parallels between 
uh, the stuff that happens in Beast's future and that story. So I would highly recommend you pick both of them up. For sure. Maybe while you're picking those up, you can pick up some of the amazing collections on sale. There's a, a the first collection of Fantastic Four by writer Ryan North. It's on sale this week. Go check that out and so much more. But we also have Infinity Comics out this week. Whole bunch of issues continuing on a bunch of our series. We're finishing the arc, current arc of Avengers Unlimited, finishing the season of Cosmo the Space Dog, and more. But there's always going to be more Infinity Comics for you. Uh, we also have a bunch of comics hitting Marvel Unlimited. Be sure to check the show notes for that. Uh, but Ryan, mm-hmm. this is our this is the last time we're talking books on this podcast. So I'm going to give you my buckle your seatbelt and hold on to your tickleberries award for being such a such a wonderful co-host. right back at fun. you Jazz. It's, been a, it's been a fun ride yeah. it's been a fun ride. we had fun yeah it was a good time but you know what we still have a little bit more to do because we got our reading club with a returning superstar all right let's get into things with our guest Back from the first to now the last, Tucker, Chet, Marcus, how the hell are you? I'm doing great, my friends. I am <laughs> so happy to see you. So happy to talk to you. Um, it's weird. It's it's a little strange being back, but in a in a very, very pleasant way. Yeah. I missed you so much. Like, look, I need you to understand <laughs> that when cause this is the last episode of Pullist, mm-hmm. and when it was, you know, the news broke, I was like, okay, well, we have to pick up a, a a good guest. And we could have gone with CB. <laughs> mm-hmm. We could have gone with Tom Brevoort. And mm-hmm. we're like, no, no, no. There's only one name and one person <laughs> who we need to have on the show for the last episode. And that's Tucker, Chet, Beef Lord, Marcus. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, just for listeners' sake, that is my... Uh, that's my nom-do podcast now. Um, <laughs> I've joined uh, our conversation with that nickname. But... Um, uh, yeah, I, I I believe you. I believe you had to fend them off. You know, yeah, they were all hungry, and I'm like, stop, stop. <laughs> we got to check in with Marcus. No matter what happens today, I am leaving with the stated fact that I'm going to pretend to be oblivious about this being the entire plan and everything, and just go, wow. You know, I guess my appearance on the podcast was so terrible that they just had to end <laughs> the entire show. They were just like, you know what? That's the final straw. Yep. <laughs> or the on. best appearance. And we were like, we can't follow that up. Can't top it. That's true. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Tucker, tell our listeners what you've been up to, the world travels, whatever things you've been doing. Also tell us, because I only get to yeah. text every once in a while, but I, I'm, I'm bad at being a friend. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm the worst at I, uh, um, yeah, so I... I split, I took my final bow at the Humble House of Ideas January last year. Um, not for any good reason, to be honest. I absolutely <laughs> adored, <laughs> I adore Marvel. I adored working with everyone there. I genuinely loved that job um, as an editor on Marvel.com and, and working with, with you uh, and the entire team. Uh, it just felt right. It just felt like, you know what? Now's the time, and it came in the midst of a bunch of different kind of big life moves for 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 us. So I wrapped up at Marvel. Very soon thereafter, we uh, ended our lease in New York. Who's and we? And me and my dearly beloved, sweet, small partner, <laughs> uh, Coral. 
Um, and, and so Coral and I, yeah, we, 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 we left New York. We actually went to and lived in London for a few months just because we Ooh. both love it there. Um, uh, Coral studied there in college and, um, I've, uh, one of the more embarrassing facts about me is that I'm definitely an Anglophile, um, which is, which is, which sucks, but it's true. Um, <laughs> so and, white. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And, uh, uh, yeah, so we went and we lived there for, for a little while, which was the best. And kind of all we do now is talk about how do we get back there? But, uh, yeah, then after that came back came back home and we moved across country. Now we live here in sunny Southern California. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, um, I decided when, when I left Marvel that, that I was just going to kind of take an indefinite period of time and just write for myself, just go back to, to long form writing, go back to, to some screenwriting and uh, just do that kind of thing, which I, which I really, really love. And, you know, if, you know, long, long, long time listeners of The Pull List will know that uh, I wrote some long form stuff for Marvel.com. I, I did like everything I could to kind of shoehorn against everyone else's wishes <laughs> my uh, style of writing into the website and, and did some things that I'm really, really proud of. And Ryan, you and I did some really weird stuff uh, back in the day, so good. which I, I loved so much and, and still do. Um, so, yeah, now, um, now I'm here and, and, and doing that. You brought us a book for our reading club that is a humdinger, a good one. What did you bring and why did you choose it? Uh, so, yeah, this was such a trip for me to to jump back into the poll list and to talk to you again and to uh, revisit uh, just a, a time in my life that I think so fondly on. And I think one of the first big books that came out after I started at Marvel, which was in late summer 2017, um, was uh, this uh, run, this first uh, arc specifically, uh, that kicks off with Thanos 2016, number 13. And uh, uh, many people, I think, listeners of the show will know what I'm talking about. That's the Thanos Wins arc, uh, written by Donny Cates, uh, with pencils by Jeff Shaw, a creative team that I adore. And uh, it was it really felt like the perfect choice. It's a six-issue, I think, run that, or arc, um, that kicks off a run uh, that I just adore. I loved it from the beginning. And really, I think it kicked off or was a huge announcement by Donnie Cates. Uh, this really felt like the first statement that said, Donnie's here. Donnie is definitely going to be someone to look out for and someone who's going to be here for a long time. So that's what I felt like was the, um, the perfect book for us to read. Yeah. This was the first time I ever read it. Like I knew what? it was art. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I like have been putting it off reading it because I'm I'm the type of person who's like oh it starts off with issue thirteen doesn't matter I have to read the first twelve <laughs> yep, issues yep, from yep. Jeff Lemire's run yep. before I can do this and like I just haven't you know sat down and done that but then I was like I'll do it for Tucker I'll I'll read it <laughs> and it's so wild because I'm getting this like almost reverse look yes. into it right because like I've experienced everything that has come out of Donny Cates uh, like since this book mm -hmm. and. Mm -hmm. To look at it now, I'm just like, there are so many seeds that are planted in this book that he later explores, whether it's mm -hmm. his Guardians of the Galaxy run or like, you know, Cosmic Ghost Rider, uh, Silver Surfer Black. Like, there are so many stories here. Like, even Thor. Like, there's so many things that are here that, like, shocked me. And I was like, wow, this is, it's just, it's just cool as, like, from a creative perspective to be like, this is someone who, like, like you said, made a giant splash, huge mm -hmm. statement, and then like took it and then just kept on like 
just generating more and more and more stories from it and took one probably one of the biggest swings i've seen someone take in a comic book like especially for their first like stuff like it, it if anything, it reminded me of like Jed McKay or like Daniel Warren Johnson mm. when they first came out with their first books for Marvel, where it was like, oh yeah, this is a huge statement. Like you're making a big deal, and like you're like writing for for a, a book that isn't necessarily one of the main like titles. Like it's not like a a Thor or a Hulk or Spider Man. It's more of like a, a smaller role or smaller like pocket of the, the universe, but just taking this huge swing and t- and showing that like it doesn't matter who the characters are. Like you can tell a good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to look up exactly when this came out because, you know, Donnie is roughly very similar in age to me, sort of close to sort of probably between Tucker and myself age wise. Um, but Donnie used to be an intern at Marvel. Oh, really? And, yeah, he, he was an intern with Sona Amanath, I believe, the ultimate office. Um, so he's he's been you know, doing stuff with Marvel for a long time. And then he went and he published his own books, but he's like of the vintage of being a Thanos fan. Like I am right. Like mm-hmm. became a huge fan of the character because of infinity gauntlet and like those stories in the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. Um, so this came out. Yeah. This was the first issue came out at the end of 2017. Mm. And so we're in the midst at that point of like, Thanos and the MCU and the, and all that stuff. So like there is a like swell and I, this just hit at that right perfect time and the mm-hmm. right just vibe for what this character could be and what you could do. If you just took the chains off and just said, go wild. Like it's just yeah. a go wild story. And in the collection, there's a great, and I would assume it's in the last issue of, of the original run, but I'm looking at the, the printed collection here. There's a letter from Donnie basically talking about doing the book and like, Hey, this is the end of this run, but like we didn't get canceled. This is what we want to do. And we're springboarding all these characters and all these ideas into various things. But like he, he, he basically says, Marvel and Jordan D. White in particular said, Hey, do you want to do this? Do a story? And Donnie was basically coming off of his indie comics work. Um, uh, do you want to do this story? And what's your pitch? And so he comes up with the wildest, biggest pitch, thinking that he'd have to tone it down, but you know, better yeah. to, to go bigger and, and bring more to the table than not. And then they were just like, Cool, this is great. Make it work. <laughs> Which is so awesome. I remember at some point when Donnie was just starting to get Marvel work, sitting with him and talking with him. And I think it was C2E2 and he was so excited and he was just <laughs> like, like, it was just like the glint in his eyes. Like this is, this is it. This is what he wants to do. And like, you can see him putting it all on the page mm-hmm. to, to tell the story. It just like, it is an excited story told by someone who lives and breathes these comics for yes. their almost their entire life. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's like the the exact read on this, especially with hindsight being a factor and me rereading this. It was it was so much fun to look at it, knowing where Donnie ended up going with Marvel Comics and what a huge impact, a huge success something like Venom ended up being. Yeah, because uh, you're exactly right. It, it's just this perfect little, you know, kind of. Um, it's this, it's, it's, it seems pretty simple on its surface is what I mean. It's, you know, especially this first arc, it tells a great story that kind of falls in on itself, has this, you know, kind of circular quality to it. 
that tells this story of the present and the future Thanos, them coming together, introduces these great characters, tells what is a pretty um, contained story overall. Um, and even when you go to the end of the run in general, um, but I, I, I really, it staggers me to think about the amount of planning that went into it, despite it reading as just a really compelling, simple, easy to follow story because of everything that ended up coming out of it from his plans for Thanos, from everything that you mentioned jazz across the board, um, with all of Donnie's later titles. It's one of those things where I could imagine it being like, who knows if maybe this project didn't land as well as it did, which I do think there is a certain amount of inevitability about that, but who knows, maybe it didn't land as well as it did. This story could just stand alone and it's a great mm-hmm. story that stands alone, but with the success that it ended up being and all of the different tendrils that came out of it, it is this like really intricate thing and you can open it and continue to open it and continue to open it and follow these little threads, even that are just a throwaway line by a character in a random page and a random panel in this arc that ends up becoming something huge in and of itself. It's like this perfect combination. It really, it really feels like that. Like if you look back at your favorite, like rock band or something, like their freshman album where you're just Mm -hmm. like, they have been writing this album since they've been writing music. You know, it's like they've been writing this album since they were kids and now they're just bursting with energy, bursting with excitement, cannot wait to just create an explosion on the scene here with this story. And, you know, he was able to then go from strength to strength to strength, following up that freshman album, so to speak, with, a great sophomore album, a great, you know, third, fourth, all the way down the line. But yeah, it just is, it has that feeling of someone who has been chomping at the bit to enter Marvel comics for a very long time. And we know that that was the case. Yeah. Like following what you guys both said, where it's like, it's clear that he was a fan. This story would not be able to be told by someone who wasn't a fan of like the Marvel universe or who has like consumed so much. Because like, even if you just look at the cosmic ghostwriter, if you just take that, that is like the creation of like a Marvel fanboy. Like if you were just like, all right, you, you get to create a superhero. You're like, I'm going to take this part over here. and I'm going to take this part over here and just smash them all together mm-hmm. to make this just one insane character who has the power cosmic, the the spirit of vengeance. It's Frank Castle, like, this, like to begin with. Uh, then on top of that, he uses like the bands of Sidorak. Like he faces mm-hmm. off a silver surfer who is carrying Mjolnir. Like, and it's just nuts. Like, I mean, there's a panel with like Galactus running behind him, behind the Cosmic Ghost Rider, just carrying this massive gun and like hold, having all these. He's got couches. a bandolier. He's got <laughs> yeah. like a giant Galactus like, sized bandolier. Yeah. Like that is, you know, for a fact that that was a post-it note on like mm. Donny Cates' like thing. He was like, I need to have Galactus holding a gun and wearing all this like armor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got to talk about Jeff Shaw in a second yes. because like it's not just Donnie here. It's mm-hmm. Jeff and, and Antonio Favela and, and everything. But uh, two things. One, if I remember correctly, Cosmic Ghost Rider was a character that Donnie created when he was younger. It, it mm. is something that he I came up it. with as a as a kid or a younger like fan and incorporated it into this story. So like he had this in his brain forever, you know, like in, in, in all the best ways. And then two, this goes back to earlier in the show, Jasmine and I were talking about days of future past and how 
that's a two-issue storyline tucked in the middle of Uncanny X-Men. It, and it like, you know, could be its own event book or there's other stories like that that could be their own event books, but they just live in these titles. I think particularly I, I was thinking about uh, the original Old Man Logan, which is just like seven issues or eight issues or whatever it was of Wolverine or Wolverine Enemy of the State or, you know, certain things like that where they they are part of our larger comic series but you can pull those out and and sort of like brand them as this does as Thanos wins like it it could be its own big limited series but they just live as part of a, a series and i think that's so important for us to have and makes it almost feel extra special because it's yeah. it's part of the natural flow of us telling our, our our doing our stories so so cool um that said jeff freaking shaw Unbelievable. It's so exciting. It's, it's still, it still gives me the same sort of chills that I had reading these first issues, you know, almost six years ago now, because just how exciting is it to see someone who is not just making their Marvel debut, uh, Jeff, but also still an up and coming artist in general. This isn't like someone who is established and has worked at other companies and has done other things. No, like Jeff is still emerging the same that Donnie was. They met at, uh, I remember talking to Donnie about this. They met at SCAD. They met at the Savannah College of Art and Design together. So they were just been buddies since college. They both are huge comic book fans. They came up together. And it's so incredible to see his work here that you both know is brilliant, masterful. I love his line work. I think it's gorgeous. And also you don't even see the traces of someone who's like still learning the craft, you know, which when you read comics as much as we do, you know, you can see it. You can see a writer who's still getting used to it. You can see an artist who's still getting used to it, but this still feels so fully formed, like right from day one. It's so amazing where, you know, if you told me, if you just showed these pages to me at the time and said, yeah, you know, this is, this person has been, you know, one of the, you know, a artists, at, you know, at a, you know, at a different company for, you know, 10 years, I'd go, well, yeah, of course. I mean, look at it. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's beautiful. There's such a command here. Um, I, I, I totally be- would have believed that. And, and, you know, it, it makes me even more excited knowing that that wasn't the case, that these are still up and coming artists, that these are still artists, like all artists are, that are still getting to know the craft that are still getting to know what it takes to write a Marvel comic versus a different kind of comic, what it takes to tell a cosmic story of this scale versus something else. You know, I think that's something that, you know, thinking back now, I know that's a conversation that the three of us used to have often would be like, it's, it takes a different sort of skill set to draw a cosmic story versus, um, you know, Wolverine story, for example, you know what I mean? Something that's taking place at a ground level in the dirt, in the forest, something like that. It's just blood, guts, and glory on that level versus something that is requires a sense of scale in a very kind of specific way, in a way that I don't even know if I could really express with words. It's just one of those things, you know, when you see it and you can feel it more than you could really express it and, and and talk about it but when it's there it's there and that's something that i think a story like this really requires and again that's looking at it from the broadest biggest scale um from these the, the kind of cosmic angle of this story but when you take it all the way down jazz for example talking about cosmic ghostwriter you know 
that's a character who is so funny, so full of personality, uh, like Ryan, like you said, so fully formed. I mean, that he's a te- he's a Texan. You know, it makes perfect mm-hmm. sense that this is a character that Donnie has been writing since he was a kid, yeah. that he had in his head for so long before it ever reached the page. Um, because you can just feel like this is a kind of guy that maybe Donnie knew growing up. He grew up around this yeah. kind of guy, this jokester, this, this um, you know, someone with a very specific personality, with a very specific view in the world. And um, that requires, from an art perspective, very specific acting, such specific personality <laughs> that he is able to find these, these body postures the way that he's yes. talking, the way that he looks up at Thanos and is kind of one of the only characters in the story that we're able that we're able to see, like, talk back to Thanos in a way. You know what I mean? He has his own agenda. He has his own stuff going on. And obviously that makes sense as we're able to fo- follow Cosmic Ghost Rider into his own series following this, a bunch of different stuff. But so going for, from the Jeff Shaw perspective and looking at the acting he is able to do with Cosmic Ghost Rider all up, all the way up to you know, the bigger lowercase C cosmic storytelling that's going on here. It's amazing. It's, it's an amazing, amazing achievement, a hundred percent on the level of how amazing it is to see, uh, to see Donnie come out of the gates as the writer here. And, you know, I think that symbiosis, the fact that those two are friends, the fact that those two had probably been talking about this story for a long time before it ever got made, you can feel it. You can just feel it. I just wanted to give a quick shout out that on top of everything Tucker said, you're also looking at someone who has to design and redesign characters, costumes. He has designs for an old Thanos. He has designs for versions of Frank as he goes through his transformations. Uh, the, that design of Galactus is so over the top, but so friggin' great. Uh, even the design for death in here, which, you know, is, is sort of very unique to this story. There's a lot of design work um, within this and, and the Silver Surfer what like that look for the surfer so different from what we've seen and, and how that's brought to life with the colors by Fabella. It's, it's great. The other thing too, that I would add to all of that is like the action and the sequences. Like there are certain things here where it's just wild to me to, cause it's like, it's part of that symbiosis that you were talking about Tucker, where it's like just creating some of the, the ideas that we see here. Like the, the book opens up with, you know, we're on the Shatari like home world and like, there's talk of like the red snow and what that is and how it works and like just detailing the physics of like why there's red snow and how it's just like frozen blood and how <sighs> this planet is cold and that's why it exists. But then it's like, that's already cool. But then to see that thread get pulled later on towards the end of the issue where it's raining blood and you get to learn why is just like insane. Um, and, you know, for someone who reads as much comics as like we do it's really hard to be shocked or like Mm -hmm. to be shown something new for the first time and like to see that like that was probably one of the coolest things in this book but the other one that gets me that got me was the the silver surfer death scene (sighs) because like it's such a simple like thing but i was shocked i did like it's simply essentially what happens is thanos takes his head and like bashes it against molnir's like like he he stabs him with it. Like he stabs his face in Mjolnir's like handle, and it's like, how has no one done that before? Or like, it, it's it's so simple and so like just badass that I'm just like, how how has this not happened? And it's taken you know this long, eighty years to get something like that. Well, because we don't usually have Thor in gruesome yes, level comics true. like this. Like <laughs> the fact 
to Tucker, you were mentioning the circular nature of this story and how everything sort of comes back together. There's like a moment where, you know, King Thanos is like, I'm going to kill you with that hammer. And he, Mm -hmm. at the end, right before he does, like, I told you I would get you with this hammer. And like connecting those dots is a simple little thing, but it's so effective as a storytelling technique, as a way to, to bring everything together and to make your reader feel really connected to what Mm -hmm. you put together. But also like the lead up to that too is like, He's talking like they're they're talking about how like Silver Surfer had to spend some time away in order to become worthy enough to use that hammer to like strike Thanos. And Thanos was like, I'm gonna kill you with it without even having to lift it. Like you spent seven years trying to like wield this thing. I'm not even gonna do that. I'm just gonna do it without it. Like I'm gonna kill you with it without having to do that. It's such a like wild thing. I I remember now skipping along in the story. I think it's issue 15 where that's like kind of, it, it ends up being a big turning point, you know, end of act two sort of, um, you know, setting up the finale of this story where one, that's where you get the crazy reveal of who the cosmic ghost writer is. And, you know, I, you, that is a character study of that is like episode worthy podcast episode worthy in and of itself, because, um, it is so, so unexpected and exactly jazz. Like you said, it's so hard to be surprised by something, but the way the character talks, the way the character acts, the way the character stands is so utterly different from what we would expect from Frank Castle. And then when you get that reveal, your brain just starts racing at a thousand miles an hour and going, how did he get here? And that's a story that ends up being a great story that we get to figure it out. Um, but this, in the same way that at the end of that issue is when the, um, that silver surfer, uh, appears. And again, it's a similar thing it's like, okay, this is surfer, but it's a different look. It has this very specific look that I remember Donnie talking about at the time that he had in his mind where it would look like oil, like, mm-hmm. uh, sort of a polychromatic, like when you see the, uh, like a puddle of oil on the ground and you see the sun hit it from a specific angle, like that's how the character would look that of course ends up becoming one of my favorite um, limited series, definitely during my time at Marvel, um, telling the story of Silver Surfer Black. But um, yeah, that ends up being such a crucial issue that I think just packs so much in there. I don't know. Like like I said, this is the first time I've read this, but I've read everything else that Donnie Cates has written. But I remember specifically when you guys have both were on together, one of the things that you would say, Tucker, a lot was like, you know, Donnie just continues to build and like work on his little like Donnie verse. Mm -hmm. And, like, since then, like, I've kind of used that as, like, a like a way to kind of look at some of the other, like, writer's work. Like, a totally. good example is, like, Jed McKay. Like, he's kind of crafting his own little, like, McKay-verse. And, like, you can see where he's connecting dots here and there um, between, like, Moon Knight and, like, the Avengers and Black Cat and all these different stories. And, like, I never quite, like, I, I understood and saw some of the connections in Donny Cates' work. But this was the one that kind of just, like, I was like, oh, Got it. Like it all literally came, not all came from this, but I was like, oh, this just put the, like the nail in the coffin for me where I was like, I see it now. I see the whole web now. Yeah. It's so good. You know, we've been talking about these great moments and such an important part of of comics and really any, any sort of episodic storytelling is how you end a chapter, how you end, you know, an issue or a TV show episode, whatever it is. And this some really fantastic final pages that like when you were reading this monthly, you're like, damn it. I need (laughs) the next one now. And so it's, 
to have to be able to read it all at once is so thrilling, but it's still very effective. Like that first, even that first issue, right? It's like, um, you know, you want where like you've got King Thanos, that reveal of King Thanos being like, I'm here, I'm you, you won. Or the second one is like, you know, we built like I, I'm looking for someone and who do you think? And it's a big, wide, full page spread uh, with this giant statue of death or, or, you know, the silver surfer or on and on. Each issue has this final, sometimes a cliffhanger, sometimes not, but like a very captivating piece that really hooks you, makes you have to wait for the next issue or just turn the page and go, go, go. It's Mm -hmm. really special stuff. Yeah. That was one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about was the command of comics in that way you know what i mean exactly like both of you have been saying um where you can tell this is someone who not just loves comics but knows them on a cellular level and is able to have the big picture ideas have the story ideas have the characters that are going to compose that story and then work out the perfect beats to hit as you go because that you know that final page turn when you go left to right and you 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 feel that anticipation you feel um you know that rush of blood kind of in your ears a little bit and you get what you didn't know what you were looking for and it appears and it just propels you into the next story is such a skill in and of itself that is so impressive to be able to do that to be able to tie it in visually to be able to uh, make it work not just on an issue level but then on a story level an arc level it's just so impressive. Um, yeah, it's 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 like a perfectly paced thing. Um, and and talking about issue number fifteen, that's the issue that introduces the Hulk into this story. Thank you. Uh, yeah, which is brutal. And I still think about it; it'll still pop in my head every now and then. It really was a sign of things to come. I think of like Donnie's ability to just twist the knife in your heart and just go like. Oh, you think that hurts? Like, what about this little detail? What about that little detail? You're just like, it's aching. That's the thing that blew me away. Like, I was not expecting that. And I think that that's part of, like, the genius of Donnie Cates is, like, writing is, like, he can craft these magnificent stories, these big picture idea stories, and then have these, like, almost, like, not throwaways, because it's still, like, there's a story there. But, like... I don't know, like to introduce that character three issues into this this arc and be like, oh yeah, by the way, one of your favorite heroes are here and then make you feel sympathetic about one of the biggest monsters. And then like, like you said, twist that knife. Like when you first get that reveal and you see him like hanging out in that pit, there's nothing but like bones and remains from all the other heroes that we've seen. Like you can see things like, I, I stared at that page for like a solid half hour because I was just like <laughs> absorbing all of it. Like it was wonderful. Like Magneto's helmets in there. You see like mm-hmm. certain bones and skeletons from like, and costumes from certain other heroes. And it's just like, what happened there? Like, I want to know like that story, but it doesn't matter. Like, it, like that's the thing that like makes this really great. And by the time you get the, like the end of that arc of like the journey that the Hulk goes on, it's just like, oh, this isn't like, what you thought this was going to be. This isn't going to be a redemption. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's it for him. Like there's no like hope. It it makes you feel like you said, like you're twisting that knife further and further. And by the end of it, you're like, wow. Okay. Uh, now I'm like <laughs> sad. And yeah. it, I don't know. It's like, it's hopeless. And like, like you get to this like level of despair that you're just like, wow, I didn't expect that to go that way at all. I thought this was a Marvel story. Like where's the <laughs> hero? Like, you know, like it's such a wicked ability to, yeah. It reminds you, Oh yeah. Like this is the worst villain. Like he's mm-hmm. the worst guy. 
You know what I mean? Because you're placed into this story with a character, like the nature of stories go, where you're you you are asked to empathize with the character. You're asked to go on the journey with them, to follow them in their pursuits, to want what they want, and that's what the story does. Because that's what any good story does. And you're doing that with Thanos, and it's this great reminder to go, oh yeah, like all of our heroes that we love and hold to such high esteem, like died these terrible deaths at the hands of our protagonist. Is mm-hmm. such a great reminder, and it just hits you in the gut. And then send you packing again, yep. uh, where you inevitably are going to be called back into the story. You're going to be called back to to walk along Thanos' side as you continue on the way um, over the course of these next few issues. It's it's really really uh, it's a great reminder, and it just utilizes the juxtaposition of what we think of, uh, you know, in terms of like our hero journey. You know, in term when you're reading a Marvel comic, and just to insert the little detail about Captain America. For example, when how Cap, you know, like how he died and Hulk, Bruce Banner, this character we love is like, he's like an animal now. It's, it's, it's really, really, it's something. Yeah. It's that, that moment, that whole sequence with Bruce, uh, with Hulk and and Surfer is beautiful and sad. And he's just, Mm -hmm. when he holds the Bruce, like when he's just transformed, it's okay. My friend rest. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But also for the Hulk to beg to kill him. like, Well, yeah. Brutal. Yeah, and then taking it from there and jumping into issue number 16, which ends up being the big Frank Castle flashback issue and telling the story over the course of just 20 pages of like millennia where this normal guy became something extremely not normal, whether it was because of a deal with the devil or whether it was, you know, becoming the Herald of Galactus, um, and just in the course of three or four pages, getting what are hundreds and hundreds of years of storytelling, the ability to encapsulate all of that into not just a one issue, but then into bite-sized chunks within that one issue and follow these different steps that have gotten Frank Castle from the character we know into the character we see now and have it all make sense is such an incredible feat, um, uh, both visually and from the writing perspective, because suddenly against all odds, it just feels right. And you can somehow see this, like what for in my head is like a very quintessentially like New York tough guy becoming this like wacky out there, Texas cosmic forever living thing um, is, is a really, really wild swing. And um, yeah, just doing it all over the course of, of one issue, simultaneously tying it into the Silver Surfer stuff is, I just think it's brilliantly done. Brilliant. I will add here as well, part of the reason why I wanted to select Thanos Wins is because of its connection to Cosmic Ghost Rider, which then went into the first Cosmic Ghost Rider uh, series. Mm-hmm. And that was the first appearance of the very planet that is named after yours truly <laughs> in the Marvel Universe, which is um, and will ev- forever be my like party fun fact about myself. I will never top that. Um, that of Marcus cool. Centauri um, existing in this little corner of the universe. I want to know where planet Panagos is in relation to Marcus Centauri. Cause Scotty wrote it. Pa- I mean, it planet only Panagos makes sense planet. if like Marcus Centauri is, is like a moon that orbits <laughs> <laughs> planet Panagos. There's like a jump point just between the two. Yeah. Um, it's uh, gotta be. 
the story is great. Everybody should read it. It is the, the sort of the way it culminates is so perfect. And I, I love the last issue so much, partially because of the role death plays into it and Jeff Shaw's depiction of death and the acting that he does with her, like the, the expressions, the looks on her face, those like silent panels, the way she's colored, the, like everything about that character in this it adds it like a different tone to a book that is already like the entire wheel of mm-hmm. color, you know, to the nth degree. It is it's gorgeous. Yeah. Tucker, Tucker, Tucker. How's it feel to close out this podcast? You know, it's pretty surreal. It's pretty strange. Um, was, you know, I, I, I such a, a big part of my life for, for many years going from issue one, I very, 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 detailed memories of of ryan you and me in the old old studio shooting the video for the very first episode Mm -hmm. of uh marvel's pull list um and just being like so nervous just just like self-aware and also nervous at the same time of like why are you being so nervous right now just chill out calm down calm down um uh and all the way through um the different eras of this podcast um, and then very, very happy to have been able to hand it off to, to you, Jazz, which was, I think, the obvious and perfect choice. Um, uh, and oh, um, yeah, it, it, it just um, uh, it, it really made me, you know, per my choice to read this book, it, it made me go back to the beginning of all of it all, much like Thanos in this story. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just think about, think about all the good times. Hell yeah. After 261 officially numbered episodes, but about 300 <laughs> episodes total in yeah. our feed, cause we had a bunch of bonus episodes and more. Um, it has been a wild and wonderful five years. Tucker stick around with us as we say goodbye, because this is the final episode of Marvel's pull list. And it was produced by Ryan Pedagos and Jasmine Estrada. Brad Barton is Polis Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Our email address will continue to be until someone tells us we yeah. should stop getting email. <laughs> Pullist at marvel.com. And I'd be lying to, if I said that I wasn't going to keep checking the hashtag Marvel's Pullist on Twitter <laughs> and threads maybe now. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> For more information and full quote of the week contest rules, go to marvel.com slash pullist. Quote rules, terms and conditions apply. Open U.S. residents, 18 and up. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents, 18 plus only. Terms apply. Visit marvel.com slash insider to join or sign in to answer the Marvel's Pullist quote of the week. This is it, y'all. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your Universe.